The Mind Sponsor for today is upcoming podcast series, Personality Sleuths. Personality Sleuths will be co-hosted by Dr. J. Galen Buckwalter, whose career includes being the founding chief science officer of eHarmony and me, leveraging my experience as a venture capitalist and entrepreneur. We will analyze personality using a speech-based proprietary AI algorithm, along with the clues evident in social media and the popular press. Each episode will dissect the life of someone famous who gained the trust of many before becoming notorious for duping people, committing a crime, or losing exorbitant amounts of money, all while the clues were there all along and how they spoke. Tune in soon. Our heart sponsor for today is Decoding Success. Decoding Success enables you to get a feel for the personality of the people with whom you are interacting passively, without alerting the party that you are doing it, such as would happen typically when a questionnaire is used, the only other means to capture the analyzable data. Using text from emails, messages, or a Twitter account, Decoding Success can optimize your chances for a successful encounter by prepping you ahead of time. Want to know about that entrepreneur in whose company you are contemplating an investment prior to the pitch meeting? Want to screen which candidates will be best suited to join your team before you even meet them? Visit D-E-C-O-D-I-N-G-S-U-C-C-E-S-S.com. This episode, we have Christos Vayanas. Christos was born and raised in southern New Hampshire. He was drawn to music from young and felt a particular pull towards the piano, which he taught himself how to play. For undergrad, he studied psychology and Eastern religions. Finding the alignment between music and meditation, Christos devoted himself to becoming a composer and improviser. He has combined his passion for music with an entrepreneurial spirit, launching several businesses in support of musicians, including the Autumn Salon and Group Muse. Christos, thank you so much for being on our show. Oh, my pleasure. So it's really great to have you. Um, we've only had a handful of musicians, and it's an area that I would really like to expand because um, uh, just that, that cultural affinity and that uh, it, it's just an arena so rife with a lot of the themes that come up in uh, on the podcast in terms of uh, mining the nonlinear path uh, as well as uh, overcoming obstacles and, and facing diversity. So it's a, it's a real joy to have you on, uh, Christos. I um, always love to start with uh, the origin. And so um, your name seems Greek. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you hail from a Greek family? I do. My, my father's side uh, is Greek. His, his parents came over from Greece in the early 20th century. But um, nice. you know, I, I'm a very Americanized uh, Greek. <laughs> I, I have a, a Greek name. And Greeks, who are more native than me, uh, will get excited and, you know, start to see how Greek I am. And it doesn't go very far. But uh, language-wise, my father was the youngest, so he could understand the language but not speak it. And so I, I, besides Greek food, you know, I I didn't get a big cultural download. But interestingly, as of late, I've been connecting more through some of the cultural work I'm doing. I've been connecting. To, uh, the Greek Institute here in Boston and been collaborating with some really amazing Greek musicians. So it's it's kind of nice to have this little bit of a full circle thing going on uh, unintentionally. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. That's great. Well, so um, you're speaking to us now from north of Boston. Is that uh, where you were born and raised? Um, not too far. Yeah, I, I grew up in southern New Hampshire. Um, 
So Boston was sort of my home city growing up. Um, and then I ended up, you know, traveling around a bit. Um, and uh, several years back now, I decided to return and uh, wanted to to focus the cultural work I'm doing uh, here in the Boston area because I thought it was a ripe area to to bring a certain kind of intimate salon culture um, mm. presence, uh, both with the beauty of the architecture and the, and also the history, the rich uh, artistic uh, architectural cultural history here and musical of course um yeah so yeah to me that that was sort of some inspiration to um to come back uh, again do another kind of full circle situation sure wonderful no that's great um do you have siblings christos i have an older brother uh, who lives in new york um okay. he, he's actually a, a jazz musician so he's also okay well so um you obviously have a, a a proclivity towards music um growing up uh, are your parents both musicians were you in a household full of that type of inspiration um no it, it's so it's interesting i mean the the creative aspect is there my mother was a dancer um growing up and in her in her 20s uh and then switched into business um but my you know my, my father was in the sciences but um but there was always an appreciation of, of art and culture. My uncle was a, a, a very accomplished uh, realist painter in New York. Um, and um, my mother's side, there was a lot of music and just more amateur stuff. So I think, you know, it, it was all there in, in that sense of the, the nature versus nurture situation. I think there was a bit of both going on for sure. Got you. So growing up, what instruments did you play? Uh, I mean, for me, it's always really centered around the piano, you know, I mean, I, I flirted with other things and like, you know, whatever, play the guitar or later on got more into some world music instruments, but never, never enough to really get proficient because to me, the piano is just such a, a universe that, you know, unlike a lot of uh, instruments that are more, um, you know, melodic um, or require some sort of ensemble. Um, the piano is is really kind of a complete world or can be. And to me, I think my fundamental motivation for playing music was to have that space for myself to kind of enter into sort of like a safe space where I could just experience and explore my inner world, my feelings, emotions, fantasies. And, and to me, the piano just felt like that. It was like just this this universe that I could just step into. That's phenomenal. Um, I know that you are self-taught. Um, what I'm really curious about, Christos, is um, what were the experiences you had in your youth or what was that impetus to say, you know what, the piano is gonna be this outlet as you've just described for me to uh, just, get my emotions out or, or have, have a way to showcase them or express them? Like what happened uh, that led to that? Yeah, well, I think it, you know, uh, uh, I think it, it just, for me, because I didn't go the traditional route, it sort of evolved in, in a funny way. And, and it's always paralleled some of the other work, cultural work or philosophical work I was involved with. So it really was just, it really did become just this companion 
for me to sort of just connect directly with myself. And I think just starting by playing by ear, I did take some lessons and I, I did not like them at all. Um, <laughs> maybe it was just, you know, bad luck. I, I later in life, I've met some musicians and I've become good friends with some who I was like, oh, wow, if, if you know, if I had met you as a child, then who knows, you know, maybe I, it would have gone very differently for me. But but it, um, yeah, learning by ear is is really how it started. I actually, with my lessons, I, I actually <laughs> remember I, when I didn't want to go back anymore, I, I prayed, I prayed to God and I was raised in kind of an atheistic family. So I didn't have like, a strong religious presence in my life, but I, I prayed out of desperation, I suppose, to not have to go back. And then uh, I remember coming home from school and checking the, um, the answering machine back back in those days of answering machines and there was a message that my teacher my piano teacher had gotten into a car accident and broke her back and wasn't able to teach for the rest of the year and oh um, dear it was a kind wow. of a strange combination of of exhilaration <laughs> and concern of like hmm okay i guess this praying thing i guess there's something to this but um, you you have a direct line that's right You're... yeah <laughs> <For my> wishes. <laughs> But, what do but I do I, with uh, this? Yeah, clearly not not wish for people's demises. But but um, anyway, that that sort of ended that uh, situation. And but I did have a rudimentary, you know, some momentum had been generated there, and so I I sort of just kept exploring that. And because my brother is a jazz musician, you know, he was over the years kind of throwing things my way. I think he got he arranged a lesson for me once and I studied with this guy and he made some suggestions and uh, you know for a little while I was more just learning you know getting into like the Beatles and Billy Joel and that kind of thing and realizing that if I played that you know at, at school somewhere some girls would like it or you know whatever something <laughs> like that. Um, and then I, uh, um, when I went it's to a powerful class, motivator Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially at that time. Right. You know, because I was in sports a lot. And so it was this like, ooh, the jock guy, he can play music, too, you know. Oh, okay. But um, but anyway, so I the, the the one teacher I did see, you know, he listened to what I was doing and he's like, oh, you know, you might like this guy. And he gave me a recording of um, Keith Jarrett's uh, Cohen concert, which is just this mm. solo improvisation, um, you know, that he became really known for in the 70s of these solo concerts where you just sit down and just play whatever you know from nothing yeah. for an hour or so and visit different worlds and to me the place he was playing from or the place he was allowing himself to to rest in while playing what really sort of struck something in me i think i wasn't completely mm. conscious of how to perceive that but something just felt right about it and so i sort of started to emulate that with the piano just just you know just playing around um and that's when the language that was coming out of me sounded more uh, classical in a lot of ways but like kind of romantic and so over time i started to listen to more classical music and uh was drawn to certain composers like chopin or some of the russian composers um and uh, uh emulated that or took from that a bit and and just sort of evolved my own language that felt re resonant with with me uh it felt like it articulated some of the inner feelings that that yeah just felt right to me or true yeah, yeah. to myself yeah fantastic so how old were you when you had the lessons that got interrupted by the car accident <laughs> oh i think i was like 
seven or eight probably seven or eight okay and, and was that parent mandated or was that something that you requested you know it's funny I, it just sort of appeared i remember the piano was purchased and it sort of had a feeling that it was meant for me but but there was That's never true. like okay. A, okay now you become a piano you know it was just uh, yeah it felt right you know it didn't yeah. feel yeah. it felt like it just sort of appeared it was delivered yeah. in my world yeah. you know and then the the inspiration um from the uh, the, this uh, pianist to uh, the free form like how old were you there it feels like you were much older yeah yeah that was like probably 17 18 okay all right yeah. interesting yeah, yeah yeah i mean in some ways it was uh almost a, a gift to to have that hiatus and then to come to it on your own because your orientation may have been completely different you might have not been open to that form of expression and it feels like it's such an important part of who you are yeah that's i think that's a, a great way of, of articulating it or, or or perceiving it in the sense of you know the the work that i'm involved with now which you know we can touch on later but it it has it involves very much what i would see as a movement to you know it centers a lot around chamber music uh, classical yeah. chamber music uh, in performance and th there's a certain humanistic quality to mm. intimate experience of music, um, particularly if we're talking classical music, d d experiencing a cello next to you in a living yeah. room versus in a concert hall, it's a very exactly. different context. Mm -hmm. And Clearly so different. I think that that 20th century in a lot of ways, you know, with, with a lot of the modernistic approach to life experience and to culture and to art, um, there's a certain sterilization process that I think in anyone who plays classical music has been sort of had to encounter in one way or another around your inner experience, kind of taking the back seat to all these other demands, whether they're technical mm -hmm. or institutional, you know, uh, some kind of politics going on. Uh, and so to, to be able to retain a direct interconnection with one's inner musical life and, and grow it from the inside out I think is a privilege that not a lot of classical musicians who undergo that rigorous training um, are allowed to to have a natural unfolding of. Uh, now, of course, they they obviously develop a rigorous technical ability that um, you know. I I mean, I, I have facility, but I didn't develop it in a kind of comprehensive way such as that. I developed it to to, to serve my own language. So there is a difference there, just depending on what your aspirations are musically. But as far as, as keeping that, that connection to one's inner emotional musical life, the way that it feels like it's been supported and encouraged versus like uh, sort of oppressed in a lot of ways or dictated, um, uh, controlled, um, that I, I do feel like I was sort of subconsciously or whatever was rebelling against that and creating a barrier for myself um, wow. throughout that process. You know? Amazing. Wow. Um, taking a step back real quick, what sport did you play? <laughs> I played uh, football, basketball, baseball. Yeah, wow. Ball <laughs> Pro athlete doing all, all kinds of uh, sports. Well, it's amazing. Yeah, never to that level. But it felt, you know, for a while it felt, obviously, you know, when you're younger, you're putting energy into things and it feels blissful. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I sort of had a whole kind of uh, cathartic 
twist in in that whole process um, that that more made compelled me to to go into deeper um, not that sports don't have depth but but more existential spiritual kind of uh, processes it's been my sure time. yeah yeah uh, did you, was it an injury uh, no it was it was actually I mean it was a few things. I think altogether, um, basically, let's see, when I was in high school, um, my father passed away when I was 16, and it was sort of more sudden than not. And oh, okay. it, it, I think in a way, you know, you know how it, when you have a father and a mother, the father represents certain things and, and um, a certain kind of... Uh, accomplishments or achievements yeah. uh, and obviously sports can fit into that category as well as just rigor uh, um, academically and everything and I think what happened there is it sort of relieved me of certain pressures not to saying that they were entirely negative because obviously again there can be fruitfulness and yeah. you know different paths uh, but but it not only did it did, did that aspect of my life recede into the background is sort of like the volume is just turned down on it. But I also really saw um, the way that that um, death can can impact one's uh, not only personally, but one's relations in the sense of in high school, which is, you know, arguably one of the most uh, uh, I don't know if superficial is the right term, but you know, you're very much concerned with appearances and, and things that, yeah. that whenever you look back, you're like, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, I was so worried about such transient things. And so right in the midst of that, you get hit with, you know, something, and, and I'm obviously not the first person that's ever happened to, but you get hit with something that is just so coming from the other side. And if people, you know, uh, are sympathetic to that and and you know my father was a, a, a good father he's very dedicated he was always around so people probably knew that this was a loss for me and so I would just remember walking down the hallway or something and and it was like people would just change I would just watch them in real time just change into sort of the best of they were offering the best of themselves in that moment and wow. I said wow you know, this is something here there's a power here yeah. and there's a depth of truth here and all the pressures, all the momentum of like, you got to get good grades to get into this school to do this thing. You know, no, there was nothing underneath it. It, it, it. This sort of cut deeper than that. And nothing, I became more interested in that than in all of these other things that I was supposed to be concerned with. And because I was saying, if you can't address this, if it doesn't go all the way down to this fundamental level, then what's the point, you know? Yeah. What's yeah. the point of success if, it can go away in an instant and all of the time that you've been working towards is disconnected from the, the only thing that is guaranteed in, in, in existence. So that sent me that, that sort of just shifted my attention to, yeah. you know, a very different path than, than it yeah. happened. That makes complete sense. And um, I have to commend your, your sense of self-awareness at the time. It's unusual for uh, a 16 year old. So uh, kudos on that. And um, obviously that kind of set the arc for the rest of your life. So um, you're graduating high school. Did you know, like uh, in thinking about university, um, what, what thoughts came to mind around that? Yeah, well, I took a year off more or less after high school. Um, okay. because. I guess staying with that theme, I just 
you know, I, I, there was a phase of just kind of lacking guidance. Like I didn't have mm -hmm. my, my compass in that way. I mean, my mother was supportive, but never one to, she always just sort of, and, and still does just respects, you know, where, wherever I go. And so, um, that time I think allowed a certain marinating to happen around those initial insights and my mind, I just, I found it just going into these sort of more reflective existential places. And so I started, uh, uh, reading more Eastern, uh, philosophical mm -hmm. works coming out of, you know, Buddhist, uh, traditions, as well as, uh, found my way into reading the works of a philosopher, uh, named Ken Wilbur and, um, that work, um, very much involves the integration of, of, you know, Eastern and Western thought and, and, uh, different ways of looking at, at, yeah, reality. And so I, I remember starting to map these out. I wanted to map out, you know, different fields, whether it's science or psychology or, you know, uh, different religions or, you know, whatever, just, just to kind of differentiate them in my mind. And that's when I found his work, I realized that's exactly what his work is, is doing. And also creating a kind of comprehensive way of putting it all together or seeing how it all relates. And so that led me into wanting to go to school to um, to to continue my studies into Eastern traditions and psychological kind of thought. And so I went to a, a small school called Naropa University out in Boulder, mm. Colorado, um, okay. where I studied psychology in, in, in Eastern religion. And I just it happened to also be the same area that uh, Wilbur was based in. And so oh. I ended up getting a, a kind of dual education of uh, working very closely with him for a few years. Amazing. Uh, and I lived up at his house when he moved to Denver. And so wow. me and a few other guys were, were just kind of in the center of meeting a lot of people from a lot of professions because he's, you know, over the years, his work has encompassed a lot of different fields and how to, to turn them, to make them more comprehensive, at least based on his perspective of the model that he developed. So, you know, I had this kind of alternative hippie spiritual school I was going to where I was learning kinds of things like somatic meditation and, and interacting with Tibetan lamas who would come over and whatever and meditating in the mountains, doing solitary retreats. And then also mm. being involved in this kind of think tank, integral think tank culture of the Wilbur world um, and just kind of absorbing a, a kind of tremendous amount of information, studying with a few contemporary spiritual teachers, um, getting the good and the bad <laughs> from, from what they had to offer. Um, and so it just, yeah, it allowed me to just download, I think, a lot of information that um, I would then probably spend the next 10 years processing. Um, to into something that felt more true to my own experience. Yeah, um, that's really extraordinary. I, I just want to highlight how significant it is that um, you had this uh, person you were inspired by, this mentor, and then you went and sought him out and became a part of his universe, a part of his yeah. work and, and troop. That's really extraordinary. I mean, so many of us have those uh, situations where we're inspired by 
someone and, and maybe they've passed already or but how many of us actually go seek them out so i think that's really extraordinary um i, I had that experience where um I, I didn't move quickly enough and um they passed in the interim i've always been a fan of uh, octavio paz who was a Mexico City-based, was a Mexico City-based writer. Um, and he was ambassador to India for a number of years and wrote this amazing book, uh, De la Luz de la India, and uh, In Light of India, where he talked about the similarities between the, the two cultures. And his poems are absolutely just stunning. He won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1990. And so I made a promise to myself that I would do the pilgrimage and go see him. Uh, and I waited too long. He passed in 98. And so um, I'm just impressed that uh, you didn't and you went and you sought him out and had this amazing experience. Um, and you've talked about how that impacted the subsequent uh, 10 years of your life. But what I'd love to ask is at the time you're in Boulder in Colorado, um, what role did music play in your life? Yeah. And that's, you know, and, and at this point, right before I, I, um, decided to, to apply and go to this alternative spiritual school. Um, I was having a bit of a crisis around music because I was in Boston. I had moved, my brother went to Berkeley, uh, College of Music in Boston. College of music. And I, you know, I, I moved to an apartment, um, my first apartment, right? Um, right, and it just happened to be right by Berkeley. And so I, you mm -hmm. know, I, I was picking up the Berkeley theory book that I, uh, got from my brother and was just looking at it and I said you know I I can't I can't I don't think I can do this I don't think this this approach to to learning and music making is for me and so so that sort of just I at that point between not being a classical musician and also not resonating with the kind of jazz approach um at least from the perspective that was being presented to me I um I sort of just accepted that and dove more into the, the spiritual stuff and, and sort of started to build my, my identity uh, more around that work. But the music was always there and always felt, you know, this, this like intense meaning connected to it. And so I, I you know, I continued to play, uh, you know, I got a piano when I got out to Colorado um, and I would, you know, perform every now and then, but there was these, these performances that I would do at the school and it wasn't intended this way, but it kind of became this way where people would just lay down, you know, on the floor of the gymnasium or, you know, the, the event space and, and I would just improvise. And it was almost like they kind of knew, again, that same presence that I had felt from the Keith Jarrett concerts, it was like they just kind of tuned into it probably because they were all sort of, you know, these alternative spiritual type kids who yeah just would allow themselves to go there so so it um so it became just sort of like part of the spiritual stuff really it just became another form of expression within that contemplative context wow that's really phenomenal that's great so uh tell us about the decision to to leave colorado and come back mm -hmm. east yeah so i mean you know that i i was like I said, really kind of immersed in a, in, in a fast path to a certain level of, let's just call it the spiritual elite kind of culture, you know, the, the hierarchical spiritual elite culture of, of 
yeah, of contemporary Western, um, you know, yeah, spirituality. So, so, you know, I got to be, to kind of hang with the big boys, I guess you could say all the time, <laughs> which, you know, you'd have like the Deepak Chopras and the others like showing up and kind of like worshiping Wilbur's theories. And I mean, I don't want to say that. I mean, he's high praise, we'll just say. Sure. Um, yes. <laughs> and so I don't want to give the wrong impression, but, um, but, you know, what I didn't, what I wasn't aware of, and, and I, I'm not saying anything really negative about my time with, with Ken, um, you know, I mean, I haven't remained uh, in, in touch. It was a conscious choice because I feel like I, I clearly that this was a phase in my life that I, I came to, you know, we all came together for me and my colleagues and, and him and we shared something, but to me, it, it felt like it was a chapter that I would then close and continue on. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So I, I, you know, I, I still have gratitude for his work and the time that I spent with him. He was very supportive. Um, the, the surrounding community of teachers and um, that I've had worked with, I think the thing I just didn't, I was a bit naive around the intentions of, of um, you know, people involved in spiritual work. Um, I just assumed that must mean that they like really have it together <laughs> on a personal <laughs> level, um, which uh, often is not the case is what I've learned. Um, you know, like some of the most troubled <laughs> situations uh, drive yes. people into those, but it's not, and that's fine. You know, it's not about being perfect at all, but it's about being honest with shadow. I think that right. the shadow element is still a very, very big issue in the spiritual community. Oh authenticity you know practice yeah. what you preach notion yeah and and you know and some people i think genuinely thought that they were doing that it's just mm. they just you know with the whole situation of being a teacher where you don't really have anybody above you or or even beside you to keep you in check um that's right absolutely uh, it can get it can get a bit messy and and yeah. you know being walking into those environments you don't really know what you're walking into and there's a right. lot of momentum behind it. And there's a lot of power. And so, you know, if you're getting like, I was kind of like getting bred into being some kind of a spiritual teacher. And, you mm. know, that to me, I'm like, well, what do I, I just felt very ungrounded. Um, sure. I felt very much like I had all this information now, but I, I had not come to it through any real life experience. And I saw people around me feeling like they needed to remain in that community because now their professional identity was dependent upon the, the, the kind of uh, outward appearance that they had attained through mixing in these circles and, and, and right. interacting around certain teachers. But at the end of the day, like you don't, it's acting, you're kind of being an actor. Exactly. And, right. and so to me, that was of no interest. And that's when actually the music part came up for me again. And I started being like, you know, a craft keeps you humble. Um, you know, something that you serve every day keeps you humble. I mean, meditation can be a craft, absolutely, but it just, it's, it's a very subjective thing. So, right. so it, right. you know, but, but so to me, um, I, you know, and I, I saw certain teachers, um, you know, they, they had like hobbies that they picked up later in life that maybe when they were younger, they were really into, and then they like departed onto the spiritual path and maybe came back to later. And I was thinking, oh, I wonder what would have happened if they kept that the whole time. Right. Or like, you know, I wanted to integrate, you know, because I just see spiritual culture here is so divorced from everyday culture and the arts and everything like the, the, I've 
feel like my work always was about trying to bring those worlds together because to me intimately through music that was the the the, the most um direct way for me to to connect with that feeling in myself um yeah in, in an active way um right. creative way so um so anyway i mean you know there was to yeah there was a lot of experiences I had that that I feel like were pushing me in a lot of different directions based on the agendas of various teachers and, and people in the community. And, yeah. and I just felt like, you know, this is not for me. It's I had a, a really good circle of friends outside of that that I had made right. when I had gone to, to, to Colorado. I've made some really great friends that I, I'm very close with to this day. And so I and, and I had a, a relationship at the time that was very deeply connected to the person. And I think in a way we both helped each other move outside mm -hmm. of that. And I also connected with uh, uh, another teacher that I had met through Wilbur's network, who is an in intuitive is what she calls herself. And she was very helpful in, in, in that transition because people did try to suck me back. You know, there, there was, yeah, of course, <laughs> I'm yeah. not, you know, I mean, it, it really was like that. And so mm -hmm. I, if I didn't have her to help me, um, stay listening to myself and not not start to care more about what those people thought about me, you know, because they can, you know, that that's usually the the card that's pulled of like, oh, well, you're not living by the teachings, you're not doing it, you know, yes, blah 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 right. blah, which basically just means you're not allowed to leave because I need right. you here, you know, <laughs> and but and so long on the judgment, uh, short on the honoring you as an individual, <laughs> right, right, right. So again, I have no nothing bad to say uh, you know i don't want to say that, that that there was anything super bad going on against my own will or anything like that but but it was you know being young and and i think in a way looking for guidance you know i was looking yeah. my father was gone i was looking for guidance but i i i did have the privilege to just you know yeah receive a lot of of you know transmission so to speak from people who had dedicated their entire lives to looking deeply into the very things that I was starting to look into at that, you know, before that in high school and so on. So I think that laid the foundation and gave me a real confidence um, on, a, on a, some fundamental level that my perceptions, the way I was seeing the world and the, the more holistic way of being that I was really looking to claim or reclaim <laughs> from the, from a reductive culture um, was all at that point, it just, was completely like I'd seen a world where where of many like-minded people maybe not following the same path as me to to try to do that work but at least nonetheless recognizing the need for it and that that was sort of like the first chapter I guess for me in in gotcha. that in that process yeah yeah so um yeah it looks like the the transition uh coming back east was more about leaving colorado so when you come to come back east tell us about what were you inspired to do at that point <laughs> well i you know i was just kind of going with the flow at that point i ended up going to new york because you know why not go from boulder <laughs> to new york <laughs> if it's about getting back to you know a, a more earthy uh, or at least a certain kind of earthiness, um, not not the nature kind of earthiness, but a certain guttural level. Uh, you need to be who you appear to be, or you're going to get, you know, stepped over. Um, uh, yeah, I, I ended up 
actually through that uh, intuitive I mentioned, she happened to be in New York and, and she said, do you want a job? And I said, I'm doing what? She said, I'm researching uh, subtle energy technologies for a hedge fund. And I said, okay, that's an interesting <laughs> opportunity. <laughs> so, so we were, so I was doing research on, 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 uh, devices that use vibration and light and sound mm. for healing to see if they could be brought into the medical industry from the, oh. you know, with the intentions from this, this hedge fund guy to, um, you know, from an investment. Invest. Yeah. But, um, but it was, it, it was interesting, uh, bridge, you know, from the world I was into there. Um, but then after that, you know, I realized New York, it, it wasn't really for me at the time. Um, and I, I basically just after that, I, I decided to move back to, to Boston and to the surrounding area here. And then I just really worked random jobs for a long time, you know, like waiting tables, doing whatever. And during that time is when I was processing, I think, all of, all of the, the perspectives and the experiences that I had had. And, um, you know, so I did a lot of just writing more on my own, uh, mm. creating diagrams, whatever, <laughs> continuing to research, continuing to develop musically, um, my musical language. Um, so I kind of just worked by day and did my inner work and musical work when I wasn't working, just with the trust that like somehow I, I, I that all could come together at some point. And, um, and then I eventually created an organization called Autumn Salon, which is, to me is, is, is sort of my, that's my, my work, you know, the, 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 the work that I've been doing, I, I'm very implicit about it. You know, I'm, I, there's no theories, there's no, I mean, I have all of that, but I don't share it very much at this time. I might actually, someone offered to, to co write a book with me around it so that might change i don't know i'm nice. very hesitant. i'm hesitant to to take that i mean i was traumatized you know i don't want to i don't want to i'm very careful about speaking from a place of authority on such matters Understood. i think it's much more of an invitational thing you know if anything mm. like exploring your yeah. senses the autumn salon to me is the cultivation of the senses uh finding appreciation and meaning sort of a tantric approach to um to mm. art uh through through the, your senses being sort of a camera aperture, the more you open it, the more you can receive uh, mm. the beauty of experience and transmute your own experience. Uh, yeah, and that's a great so, metaphor. yeah, and 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 so that's anyway. So so that uh, slowly kind of materialized where I you know I interview artists from around the world. I let them tell their stories. They're artists that I feel are rooted both in craft and uh, creativity. So they kind of, you know, are, are connected to some kind of, of craft that inevitably has some tradition, uh, but they're also approaching it from that same place of, of inner uh, freedom and creativity that, that I think I resonate with, um, you know, with, with my own work musically. But I just let people tell their stories, you know, because they often are people who, who don't, they're not limited to you know, their, their careers and their life path isn't just in an institution somewhere, but they're, they move in and out of a lot of different worlds to remain integrity, to, to, to retain integrity to, to their, the art that they're serving. Um, but yeah, to me, it, all of that is, is just pointing towards, or hopefully when I curate events, they, they draw you or allow you to rest in this, this kind of more full way of being where you're not in conflict with you know, there isn't any imposition on you being what you are or just yeah. feeling naturally open and, and um, not having to define 
your your state as much as just feel and allow it. And um, you know, so so creating a cultural context for these kinds of experiences and honoring the the, the artists who are sort of serving in their own uh, unique ways um, th this kind of deeper sacred you could say purpose of the arts. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, so that that sort of slowly came together and then I also got involved with an organization called Group Muse um, a couple of years ago now, which right. is a chamber music organization I mentioned. And, right. and that, mm -hmm. that work has also taken up a tremendous amount of my time as of late because we, we back in March, we went online with everything. And so we've just been building mm -hmm. this online platform for um, musicians. And now we've opened it up to all musical styles that are rooted in a craft uh, rather than just classical. But um, Right. And, and this is a, an opportunity for people to get live music performed for them in a more a home setting or, or office setting. Yeah. With group music started and, and, and continued and will continue once again, uh, when such things are possible with uh, chamber music house concerts. So, yeah. you know, it, it was sort of like a platform, internet platform based way to, if you want to host classical music in your home, you sign up and then you pick a date and then musicians would propose concert uh, programs and then you would say oh that's great yeah uh, you know spring duo that sounds nice and and then it would go out to the network where people could uh, sign up to come to your home and you know you invite your friends of course and so it's a mixture of people you know and maybe a few people you don't know and you get to just sit in the living room and relax and you know have a glass of wine or whatever and and just be sort of allow this music to sort of be initiated into, into the inner experience of the music. And I think often the feeling of gratitude or awe or an unexpected kind of appreciation emerges and to then to socialize in that setting provides a different cultural context than most people are used to, but it does it in a very natural way. You know, it's not like you had to talk people into that state. Yeah. Like they just yeah. were, the music did the work, did the magic. And to me, that, that then it's really serving its its function, you know, its true cultural purpose, ritualistic purpose. So that so it it basically grew from here in Boston to all around the country, where we have about 150,000 people participating, and you know it's very involved. But um, of course, you know, with COVID, the in-person ones we we had to stop. Sure. But we, we jumped very quickly online in a way that a lot of the larger institutions weren't able to. Um, because you know they just their structure is a little more rigid in the way that it's set up so we've yeah hosted over 500 concerts at this point but we just developed it's it's a work in progress you know it's a retrofitted model but this year uh really hoping to refine the whole platform and continue to develop it um in ways that are serving the musician community that we have and really bringing those humanistic values into classical music culture which is what we've sort of been doing but now I think we're able to combine that with a new sort of infrastructure that really does put the musician in the center in control of, of creating their own events, of attracting their audience, of, of hosting and monetizing their content. Yeah. And then also bringing that into the real world again and into the physical world when the time is right, uh, both individuals and, and small music presenters. So, um, you know, that that is, is to me uh, a way to bring these deeper values into the culture through uh, an art form that is widely known, but needs to sort of shed some of the, 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 the institutional baggage that is accumulated 
and also the, the musicians themselves need to learn how to grow into a more full way of being where yeah you're, you're not only playing in a chair with an audience far away but you're in the room you're, you're telling your story yeah. you're sharing yeah. the story the music and, and needing to speak lucidly about it and and interact with with the people around you and yeah, yeah. just share what you love with them well i, I think it's a, a very clever idea in that it uh, obviously addresses an inefficiency in the market but what i also love about it is it's very pro artist so uh, kudos on, on developing that um i'd love to hear about the origin uh, or the inspiration behind some of the the cross-cultural and transcultural approaches to uh, the work that you do and, and curate and sponsor Mm -hmm. Sure. So, so in Autumn Salon, um, which is where most of that is, again, in group music, we're now opening up to to other genres. But, but yeah, mm -hmm. my experience has, has been um, primarily through the Autumn Salon work, which, uh, again, you know, I, I interview artists around the world in different mediums. So to me, I mean, a big thing about, you know, going back to the Wilbur days is I've always been sort of obsessed with with what could be potentially called universals, you know, like before the big bang, mm. what was in place, you know, what, yeah. what elemental language, you know, earth, fire, air, like what, what are these metaphorical kind of uh, attractive points that are, are, yeah, are more archetypal in the human experience and how can we get a glimpse into those forms if one feels that they exist, which I mean, to me, I, I, in my experience, I find that to be true. Um, but what I, instead of doing it through philosophical, you know, diagrams, I, I, I wanted to do it through human beings, actual lived experiences and let them mm. share those experiences and, and start to, to, to see how, you know, cross collaborations can help again, just make those more self-evident from, from a level of, of humanity first, you know, not from a level of intellect, but a level of just shared value and shared meaning and, and connection. And so uh, like, you know, one collaboration recently that I, I found uh, very, you know, rewarding um, is um, there's a, uh, it was a combination of, of two classical traditions um, one is the Western classical music and the other is Indian classical dance. Um, and mm -hmm. so there's a, a young dancer named uh, Yamani Kaluri who comes um, from the South, South, Southern India, it's a dance style called Kuchipudi. She, she studied with uh, one of the most renowned teachers of, of, um, you know, of that style for many years since she was seven and was you know, a prodigious dancer and ended up leaving to go to New York um, uh, to to really continue to grow, I think, is the way she she felt that she wanted to to start to uh, become familiar with other dance styles as well, mm -hmm. and and sort of tastefully integrate them into her style. She she you often wear a lot of makeup in in those uh, in that style as a performer, and she wanted to wear a little less makeup because it required her to emote more because the makeup was kind of like sure. it's kind of like an amplifier, you know. It's like, yeah. like it, it allowed you to hide behind the mask mm. as yeah. this is more like she said you know now i'm not indian i'm not this i'm just a human being who's mm. feeling fear or feeling mm. sadness or joy and awesome. so that that again that kind of humanizing or you know mm. moving beyond the forms into more of the raw you know genuine 
lived story of, of what's being communicated combined with learning ballet, learning modern, uh, which she's a student at Martha Graham School in New York right now, but she also started her own school recently that's trying to do this work. She, she, she encountered a lot of resistance in India uh, around the kind of dogma of her cultural tradition where you know, some nasty things were starting to be said about her you know, uh, yeah. and her choice to do that. So yeah. anyway, she, she went and she, she's doing that work, but she's loved classical music, uh, Western classical music her whole life. And so her dream has been to dance for, for a symphony and wow. to, to bring these worlds together. And so there's a, qu a quartet that evolved out of group music, a string quartet that actually evolved out of doing group muses. Uh, and, and I met them when they started and they said that they wanted to create this quartet to make more meaningful music together through these experiences. Yeah. And so they, but they named it the Rasa Quartet or Rasa, I don't know that exactly. I know there's two ways to use that word in the aesthetic right. uh, philosophy, but, but they wanted it to say uh, a spiritual, kind of spirituality through intense emotion, you know? Yeah. And so they formed this quartet and I was like, well, you know, this is based on ancient Indian philosophy. I think this is gonna be a good match for what Yamini wants to do. So it was a totally spontaneous event because uh, it was in a beautiful space I use here in, in Boston a lot, but we did it a few months, a couple months ago. So it was, it was a limited audience. At that time we could still have a limited audience and, and we live streamed it as well. And, oh. and she happened to be coming to visit. And so I said, would you like to dance with this quartet? And <laughs> said, oh my God, uh, yes. And she, um, so she sort of improvised something, but it, it was right before that her, her, her teacher passed away, right. COVID related death. And, and so it was I mean, mm. huge for her, you know, in so many ways of this person who taught you everything, but also maybe on some levels represented a certain kind of limit on you know your identity as an artist within that tradition and so it was just a very interesting timely you know not timely but it was a metaphor of, of yes time right Absolutely. and so and, and and so she this was the first time that she did an improvisation where she really kind of brought in some of the things she was learning from ballet and modern and she dedicated it to her teacher it was the first yeah. time she had danced since the news and the, the quartet was playing a beautiful piece by the um, composer George Walker, who wrote this certain adagio as a kind of an uh, celebrating or honoring her, his grandmother, who I think had passed away. Uh, wow. So it was already a piece kind of with that sort of a mood and gesture to it. And so she took yeah. it and, and did a really moving uh, improvisation that to me, it just tied that whole thing together, you know, and it just yeah. really made it feel like, like the, this is just, you know, human. This is yeah. all life and death and, and art and the, the whole, the struggle, the, the release, all of it. And so I've had a few collaborations like that, that I, I yeah. feel are, again, to me, it's all I'm doing is trying to hold the space Sure, create and sure. hold the space for such things to happen uh, rather than to try to tell people what what to do I, I find that if you just allow them you know, the ones who, who've committed themselves to this life of of craft and of integrity authenticity and are open to to being also to being receptive and, and allowing the the greater world than than the, the the culture or tradition they might have grown up within to inform them um, that work to me is is just healing these these splits uh, of of 
you know, of human experience, uh, you know, globally and, and, and personally and all of it. Yeah, no, I, I completely uh, agree with you. And uh, I had the good fortune of being able to see that uh, performance. Uh, thank you for sending me that that link. And um, it was very clear just the um, alignment between the music and, and the motion that uh, could express that uh, emotion in a different form it was uh, i thought that was really poetic and of course the juxtaposition of eastern and western was also fabulous and uh, you know i have to say i think probably the, the one of the best things that you're doing is um yeah, empowering people to uh, pursue these ideas that they have and you mentioned that she her, her goal is to yamini's goal is to uh, dance to a symphony and uh, you know that just that that impulse that desire you know came to her while she was practicing this very traditional form of indian dance and and yeah and, and that type of mentality extends not only in the arts but in religion and societal thinking um being very dogmatic and, and nothing open to uh fusion or uh, adulteration is how they think of it mm -hmm. uh which is really um unfortunate but uh it's great that you're giving her a platform to to explore that and and others as well um i'm curious christos the uh, the choice of uh, autumn in the name what uh what drove that yeah that's interesting i mean i guess there's a few different ways one could look at it i i think for me i became aware that there was uh and i think it still is but it, there was a an art show an art um sort of festival that came into being in france and paris in the early 20th century with the same name and it was it became the forum where artists that were not being uh, acknowledged in academia could come and share their work um in, in so that really uh impressionism and other more modern art forms soon followed um with, with it, that was a place where you could go and exhibit uh so so one of the one of the ideas there was the spirit of moving away from exactly those dogmas that, that you were just referring to into a more open space where artists can be who they are what they are without those limitations yeah. um, yes. but the the difference is that my my twist on it is that 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 particular um Ex exhibition ushered in uh, the modern the movement of modernism in many ways, as where mine is is more about rather than reacting to the past, because I think modernism has you know that that as that evolved became this very dogma that it was looking to walk away from or or respond against. So to me, it's about stepping out of that cycle itself into more timeless or uh, fundamentally human. Uh, again, those archetypal forms, whatever you want to call it, just stepping out of that linear reactive way of perceiving human development or cultural progress, you know, whatever it is to, to something uh, more holistic and more outside of that cycle of time, but also obviously informed by the present um, circumstances. And so, so it's, it's that, and then maybe in a poetic way, you could say autumn also is, it's the time of fruition. It, but also melancholy, you know, it's this unique combination of, of 
really appreciating the beauty uh, of, of life, of this transient but, but deeply poignant feeling, um, uh, vulnerability, um, yeah, just sublimity, you know, whatever, whatever happens when you start to see the leaves change and the berries mm -hmm. are there and the apples and, you know, the leaves, the, the, the landscape that the, evokes an emotion that I think I respond to, but, but also is sort of the fruition of the human experience, you know, of, of coming back down to earth and, and really allowing the, the beauty that that the world has cultivated over thousands of years to yeah be acknowledged and harvested so to speak so i think it's a combination of, of a lot of different things it's a metaphor i suppose yeah yeah well that's fantastic um so thrilled with uh all the great work that you're doing uh christos between uh, group muse and uh, autumn salon um it, just the sense of being in service of others and, and giving back and, and helping your fellow musicians is so uh, inspiring um this has been such a wonderful conversation i really do appreciate how you thoughtfully shared uh your various experiences and uh, what led you from one to another and, and the candor with which you did that was uh, uh really great and, and um i'm certain Several members of our audience will be inspired by that. And also for the musicians out there, um, we'll have uh, details of how to connect with Christos. So please do reach out, especially if uh, there's an undercurrent of passion around um, uh, cross-cultural uh, fertilization, <laughs> which I'm a strong proponent of. So uh, again, Christos, thank you so much. This is really wonderful. Yeah, no, thank you. It was really yeah, a pleasure, pleasure to speak with you.